Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. A week away from the Flyers. We're finally back. Don't think we're going anywhere. And we welcome... Tommy Soderstrom, former Flyers goalie here on Orange and Backcheck, right now. This is the Orange and Backcheck podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. It's episode 65 of Orange and Backcheck. Glad you are with us. The Flyers, oh man, what a week that had absolutely nothing to do with the sport of hockey. He is Scott Weinhardt across from me as always. What's going on, brother? Hey man, at least the Flyers didn't lose this week. There's a positive take out of it. They didn't. <laughs> they, 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 they're not playing. You know what? They, I don't think they can play any less than anywhere, any worse than they are right now. <laughs> I mean, that's you true. Not playing. That's about as worse as it gets, unfortunately. Yeah. So that's where we're at with it with this whole nonsense. But the good news is, is that as of us recording this right now, Travis Sanheim came off the COVID protocol, but Travis Konecki went back on. So there's still seven players on the COVID protocol. And Thursday's game against the Rangers may be in jeopardy. So might be another week where we might just be going back to days of old, Bill, during the yeah. shutdown and coming up with different material to talk about. Well, that's <laughs> why we got to welcome in and we got to talk this uh, earlier with Tommy Soderstrom. And that was a really fun interview. Can't wait for you guys to hear that. I mean, but yeah, I think what the biggest thing is like the NHL or the Flyers, because it all started, it seems, with this the devil's series a couple weeks back, or I guess a week and a half ago now when, because they have 13 players last I saw the devils and the flyers have seven and it put everything into perspective, I think for what we're doing or what we're talking about here. Like we knew this was inevitable the, yeah. that, that the flyers and all 31 NHL teams were going to deal with COVID uh, tests, positive tests at some point. It just absolutely for the fires in particular, it is awful timing. Like if this was yeah. in two weeks or two weeks ago, I think it would have been a little bit better manageable. But yeah. the fact that they're being crunched for time in terms of now you're being threatened, not I, I well, I shouldn't say threatened, but you're under the, the scope of the NHL in terms of you have this outdoor game in Lake Tahoe against Boston coming up a week from, uh, from Sunday on the 21st. Uh, it, that's the outdoor game. The, the, it's their marquee game. It's like the big thing between that weekend because they have two games going. So they want to replace the Flyers if they have to. I don't think – I think that decision will happen only if they postpone the Thursday game. 
right against the Rangers. Like if, if you postpone the Rangers, I think that inevitably is going to cause the NHL to react, whether it's justified or not to postpone Sunday's game against Boston and Lake Tahoe, because they don't want to lose out on that potential revenue of ad time and, and all that stuff. I, I just, this goes, goes to show how much of a mess the NHL is right now for all the praise we gave them for the bubble. You know, they, this is the problem with the NHL. Every time they take a step forward and do something right, they take two steps back. This is yeah. taking two steps back. They've canceled 35 games or rescheduled. They've canceled 35 games. Okay. And had to reschedule. Now they've rescheduled some of them. They were scheduled. I want to say three, six, nine, ten, eleven 11 of them, but that still leaves 24 games that they need to reschedule. And, you know, you get the situations now where you have the, the blues playing the coyotes seven games in a row. Yep. I mean, it's nonsense. This, that, that, that's not the right way to run it. And you were talking about when we were getting ready to, to start this thing is that they switched over from doing the old PCR test where that's like the swab that touches your brain, so to speak, to the rapid test. And you you discussed that with us and with me. And I'm like, it doesn't make any sense why you weren't doing the rapid test in the first place. Because I think you, you look at the league now. No other leagues had this problem. The NFL did not have this problem. They moved the games back a couple of days, but they still played. The NBA has not really had to cancel any games. Baseball had its little issues at first. They were the first to deal with it. But now hockey's just made a complete mess of it. And it's just, well, yeah. how do you fix this? The, the, I mean, the easy switch is fix is to switch this thing to the rapid tests. Yeah. Because, the, yes, the other leagues that we were just that you were just talking about had outbreaks in themselves. We talked about the Miami Marlins. We talked about uh, a few NFL games. The Pittsburgh Steelers were pushed back. Like the difference was you knew that these players were positive within 40 minutes, an hour, whatever the turnaround is with the PCR test because of the wait time. uh, And it is more accurate that, that I can concede like the, the NHL going thinking that the PCR test was the thing to do because of the, accuracy yes i understand but you're also dealing with 12 to 24 hours of a difference so claude Giroux, who is on the protocol list gets tested and then practices with the team in Voorhees because that's how they do it and for all we know he could be positive spreading it to everyone else now again what we also need to clarify is just because seven of these players are on the safety protocol list of COVID does not necessarily mean they are positive. Correct. Really all it means is they're, they've been in close contact with someone. I imagine it just means if you were not, if you were sitting next to someone in the locker room, if you were sitting next to someone on the bench during uh, practice and they were positive, you were also next to them. So now we got to be cautious and see how this goes. That's the biggest thing that uh, I think that people need to understand. And maybe, maybe now that you say this, maybe, maybe the issue is, is that maybe the NHL is doing too good of a job of doing this. And the little leagues weren't because look at it this way. The other leagues were using rapid tests and you're right. They're not as accurate as the PCR test. If, the rapid, the other leagues were using rapid tests, you know, within 40 minutes. How do you know there wasn't spread along that? But we didn't see any mass breakouts. We said that guys get it, but there weren't, there were a couple of breakouts, but nothing too major in the other sports. I understand what the NHL is doing here, looking at safety first. I'm totally for that. Mm-hmm. But now it's causing more of a mess around the league than anything else. And Canada, the Northern League, got its first over the couple of a couple of days. I believe a player tested positive there or is in, pro, in protocol in the first place. But they've only had one. So, in the United States, 
it, it just goes to show that there is a bigger problem here that the NHL needs to figure out is because regionally and statewide, they all have different laws and you see how much of a mess this is making because now it, you might have, you're right. You might have a guy who might be positive, but you don't know for 24, 48 hours and he's going to practice and then he's spreading it to other people. And then you have massive breakouts and then you have situations where a team's playing another seven times because that can't be fun for either fan base either. So at some point, you know, when the owners well, talk I, about, I don't know. Cause like, Seven times sounds like a lot, but at the same time, we we have seven game series. Now it's but not it's playoffs. I it's get playoffs. That. I understand, but it's still something we're accommodating to. Like we we we're. Is it a lot? Is is it completely abnormal to play the same team seven times in a row in a regular season? Of course it is, but it is it is it totally undoable? And and it also what also is a benefit beneficiary. Is it's an in division in division game? Like it, it, it's still, it's still something to watch. Like I would, I would be fine with pl- seeing the Flyers in Columbus play seven times in a row rather than not see the Flyers play at all. Okay, fair. I'll take that. But what about the fans that watch the game? You get Forrest Gump syndrome. And then he goes like, so I went again to the White House again and met the President of the United States again. Like, they're saying like, oh, well, okay, it's not a bit that I had to go again. I mean, like one of the most biggest honors in the world, and the guy doesn't realize it. And I think that that's something that can happen with some fans, too. You're right. You say that, yes, while the Flyers playing them seven times in a non-meaningful situation would mean something. So you get about game five and you're like, what's going to end up happening there? Are they ever going to play another team? You're going to be waiting. To, well, just let me know when they play the other team. I don't really care what happens. I've seen them play this team too many times already. They're, that's the casual fan you're talking about. You're, yeah. You, you want to yeah, cater true. to them. You can imagine someone in the middle of East Bumble, Missouri, going like, ah, the Blues on tonight? Oh, they playing them Coyotes again? Oh, I'm sure. So I don't know why I did an accent there like that. But just, <laughs> it kind of just came out of nowhere. People in Missouri don't talk like that. I've been there. But really, you have some dude who wants to turn on a game at night and watch who's not a big fan and saying, oh, they're playing the Coyotes again. What's going on here? So it's going to not be interested in them. A hardcore fan, yes. A regular fan, no. And at the end of the day, the eyeballs that count the most are the ones that aren't watching all the time that you're trying to get in front of them. So – um, I, I, it, the NHL is going to figure this out somehow. Um, you know, and, it, and it's going to become more than like the Blues and and the um and the the Coyotes. I think you're going to see more of those happen. The more that these games get rescheduled, they're going to try to bunch them together so they don't have to travel and do anything. And I just think that since it's not a playoff type game. And, you know, you might have it where, like, the Coyotes might be out of it and the Blues are pushing for a playoff spot, so you have meaning on one side or the other. It, without that meaning where, where they're really in, like, a true seven-game series, it doesn't have that emotion. And after a while, I'm sure these guys are getting sick and tired of playing the same teams and the same players as well. And at the end of the day, I just wonder if the quality of hockey is going to go down as well with this. It's just, it's just a mess right now. It's just no, a I think that's absolute mess. No, I think that's a f- completely fair point because you, especially as we're going to probably see inevitably with this season, because of how you're only playing in division opponents, the later games, you're going to know the scheme of players. You're going to know the scheme of teams as a whole. You're going to figure that out pretty quickly. And to that point, when you are playing a regular season team seven times in a row, yes, by game four, five, six, and seven, you figured them out in the sense of what they do on the breakout, how they play the control the puck in the neutral zone, and all that stuff. I get that. But I come back to 
as long as they're playing hockey, it's a good thing because I right. would give that for, I would give that for the Flyers a hundred percent. At the end of the day, you're right. At the end of the, you know, you're hundred percent right. Te- they'd rather have teams play than not. Even though some owners say that it'd be cheaper if they closed the doors, you're right. At least they're playing. It just it goes to show it, it, it just it's just a weird situation that we're in. That you we're at a situation in life where we're complaining about, so to speak, a team playing another team seven times because of protocols yeah. and 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 all this stuff. It just it just makes for a messy situation. I just find it odd how the NHL once again is the outlier in it and having more problems with the schedule than anything else. And especially with the NBA, I understand where they're that they're much more close contact than any at any sport if you ask me. They're touching the ball, they're 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 putting their hands on each other and they're not wearing like they don't even really wear sleeves or anything. So you're getting those bodily fluid contacts or whatnot. At least hockey, you're, you know, you, you really don't have any kind of contact or close space like that, except for when you're battling for a puck. But um, it, it, it just blows my mind how the, how the league, like the NBA doesn't have any issues in regards to this or minor. They didn't have to reschedule or cancel games, but the NHL just cannot do it. I thought that was the whole point of having that taxi squad was to get enough players to field a team. Yeah, it's, I think it, make, I, it just makes it confusing why they've had to cancel 35 games so far and reschedule 11 of them. Right. I, 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 I tend to think that they're just doing it out of abundance of caution. Like, yes, that taxi squad team was established because of these exact situations. You're right. But I also think they look at it as if we can get a team within if, if a team has to take a week off and only a week, we can sacrifice a week for that team. But down the line, if there's another outbreak, say for the Flyers in March, April, then they're going to utilize that taxi squad game. And you're going to have to see all of it to go into it. And then that's it. Like that, that that's all it can, they, that they're going to be able to do. And, and when, here's the problem too. If they don't play enough of these games, then you get into the tiebreaker for the points here that you were talking, you were, you're talking to me about earlier and we were discussing and like, yep. That part concerns me quite a bit because you might have a team that only play like 45 games. Another may play like 56. And because you have a couple more losses than another team, even though you have more points or wins overall, you might slide into that playoff spot. So the tiebreaker becomes a little bit of an issue here. Yeah. And and that's going to be completely down to point percentage. And what I look at it is, I don't think there's a fairer way. Is it a hundred percent fair? Absolutely not. But I, I think it's the only way that they can if – the, if their ultimate goal is to have all teams play 56 games. Like that – whether and I yeah, think we're, doubt. I, I think what's going to happen is they're going to extend this season inevitably to some extent. But if they absolutely have to, if there is a second outbreak for one of these teams that's dealing with a, 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 an outbreak similar to what the Flyers are going through right now, whether the Devils, Jersey, or the Capitals, who came back uh, against Pittsburgh and, and uh, again. But, like, if they have to play less than 56 games, the only fair way I see it is the point conversion percentage. If you're converting 70% of your points on 40 games, that's a great rate compared to a guy, a team that played 68% on 56 games. I think that's that, that shows you're a better team in my opinion. I don't know. Cause you could hit a slump later on in the season. You, you could have something go on there. I, I this is where I think it gets, it, it also gets messy is because it, nobody at the end of the day is going to be happy 
I mean, look, look right. at Canada for crying out loud. I mean, the Canucks are actually a really solid team and they're in second to last place right now. Cause they can't just, they just can't get it together. Um, you know, the Canada is going to be more, the Canada in the league is going to be more upset about it than anything else. But, um, this is this is where it gets concerning. Say you have a team that has like another, you have to miss like five or six games more than once. Maybe it's twice, and you play forty five games. Okay, well you're right. Maybe if you have seventy percent of those wins, but who to say the last twelve you might go like three and nine or a three eight and one or something along those lines where you just completely fall apart and you yeah. lose out of a playoff spot. And the thing is that you're talking about a team who actually made it through all fifty six games. It's because you played less games and you had more of a point percentage. I just I don't find that that the that would be a good solution because I think you have a lot of team and granted, granted they agreed to it. Everybody's agreed to it. I just don't think that you're gonna look at some fans in the face and say, "Well, it wasn't their fault they got COVID, but we're gonna penalize them for it anyway. You're gonna penalize other teams for because they got COVID and I had to shut them down and we couldn't reschedule the games because we're more concerned about the Olympics than getting through our own league." So I think also that's where it's going to get messy. It's going to get really become a PR issue for them. Really? It, 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 it's a potential PR issue, but the more I was looking into it and the more I think they're extending the season more than canceling games on the chance they do cancel games. I think like, okay, so they're playing 56 games. If a team that goes into a tiebreaker only played 54. I think it still favors the team that played 56. Like, I don't see a scenario where the flyers and the penguins are in a tiebreaker situation where the penguins completed all 56 games and the flyers completed 46. Yeah. yeah like 46. Like, I, I don't see a scenario where they lose out on 10 games. That is the absolute, like, but, uh, hit the nuclear option uh, scenario for the NHL where they're canceling that many games. When they established the percentage of, of point systems, I think it was on the basis of the most that these teams could potentially lose out on is a week of games, which is maybe four. So the minimum you're dealing with is 52. So I think the balance with that was the logic there, where if we have to cancel one team's week of games, it's a little bit more sustainable than uh, trying to make them up and then really affect a team that completed 56 games. I think that's where the logic was. And maybe they didn't anticipate a situation like this where they've had to cancel Mm -hmm. so many games and have, you know, again, teams play consecutively so many just to get them through the rod, through the schedule. I that that's where it gets a little bit concerning. And I, I just, I don't know exactly what the league thinks it's going to be able to do if they run into some issues down the line, but you know what? It's one of those things where I think they're going to try to get as many games in as possible um, until they get to a point where they don't and they just move on with it and figure out from there. And I'll say this too. And just with everything going on and seeing the magnitude of how many games over the cancel, I bet you 10 to one, a lot of these teams, but once they get back and figure out if they're going to keep some sort of the same, like same, same divisions or go back to what they were at before, or kind of change them up a little bit. I bet you see, don't see a whole lot of changes in management and coaching to this point, because, you know, again, look at Van- Vancouver's getting the reason I mentioned Vancouver is because their record is subpar, but they were one of the better teams last season. And they're actually a really good hockey team. Yeah. And you have Toronto, leading that division because they're better than all of the Canadian teams and already have pretty much a pathway to a conference final if they can get there. Um, 
it just goes to show that, like, for instance, if Boston's not playing a tougher, if Toronto's not playing a tougher team like Boston, you're going to see some teams be look better than others right now because of that. I think you're, you're starting to see that around the league a little bit. Um, but with these games scheduling back and forth and all these messages too, I don't think you're going to see teams really pan out. This will be kind of like last season. Just the, the team that survives is going to win it all, and that's that's pretty much what's going to be at this point with the way it's happening. I just – like. I'm just happy to see the hockey's here. And right now, while we haven't had a week of the Flyers, it's still good to see the league going on and try to get through this as best they can. We could sit here and complain about little things like this only because we want to see it work and see it happen. And it sucks that it's not right now. Um, but at the end of the day, you said at the beginning, safety first, that's all that matters. Yeah, that, that's really all that matters. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, let's, let's go to our, our guest this, this week. We had Tommy Soderstrom, excuse me, on the show. It was an awesome interview. He took the time all the way out in Sweden. I mean, that, this guy was a lot of fun. So here's our interview with Tommy Soderstrom, former flyer goalie right here on Orange and Backcheck. And now let's welcome into the latest guest for the Orange and Backcheck podcast, former Philadelphia flyer goalie, a former gold medalist in the world championships for Sweden. Tommy Soderstrom, sir, how are you? Good to have you on the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be on the show, and uh, I'm very, very good. I'm in Sweden, and uh, it's a uh, Sunday, and it's uh, a lot of snow outside, so I like That's, it. Yeah, we have actually here in the in Pennsylvania, in New Jersey, on the east coast of uh, the U.S., as you, obviously you know, uh, yeah. we've been dealing with a lot of snow. We actually have a, had a pretty bad uh, ice storm. Uh, this, this oh. past weekend so everyone's kind of slipping and sliding so that's been yeah. that's been the story of this winter uh just to go okay. along with, you know the coronavirus everything's uh <laughs> you're either dealing with a virus you can't see or dealing with snow that's everywhere yeah i remember one time when we when we fly in from uh, a road trip uh, i think it was like 10 centimeters snow when we come to the airport in philadelphia Yep. And it was tough to get home uh, in my in my car. I had a Ford Thunderbird, and oh. I think uh, and the power was on the back uh, wheels. Yep. yep. So it so it was like terrible to get home, but uh, finally I got it. So uh, it went well either way. Uh, Tommy, thank you again for coming on. We, we want to talk to you kind of about your experience in Philadelphia. You know, you you had some great performances in the 91 to 92 World Championships. And I know that there's an adjustment going from that international game to the National Hockey League. How much of an adjustment was that for you coming from, you know, a great stage like that to coming over to Philadelphia, a team that was in kind of transition at the time and and a smaller rink as well? How much of that transition was that for you? Uh, in the beginning, I was going to go pretty easy, but uh, when I come over and the training camp starts, uh, my first game I played was against Quebec, and uh, they pulled me off their 10 goals. So, oh. and, that was, and that was in the middle of the third period, and I think Matt Sundin played for Quebec then. He, he scored a couple of goals, and I was like, come on, Matt, don't score on me now. This is my first game over here. And uh, so I, I was thinking like, oh my God, am I so fucking bad? Excuse my language, sorry. It's okay, uh, it's, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> am I so bad? And uh, the next game I played was uh, against New Jersey home. And it was, we were down like 1-4 off the half the game. And I was like, 
come on, Tommy, you must be better than this. You've been like the uh, really good in Europe and you won the world championship and what and uh, stuff like that. But uh, after that, I get my uh, heart problems. So my start in Philadelphia or NHL was not so good. And my confidence wasn't the best. I can tell you that. Actually, I'm looking when I was going through your career as a Philadelphia Flyer, you talk about that first year just now, but you also had two assists credited to you. That's got to be something. You know, I, Did mean, I? It, 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 apparently, <laughs> yeah, you apparently were credited with two assists. I couldn't tell you and four penalty minutes. So yeah, okay, okay. go with something with the Flyers. That's pretty good. Yeah. That, that should get you some, some credit here in the, the city of Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was a shot who, who hit my stick and then the puck uh, deflected to one of my players. Yeah, there I you guess. go. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, but I don't know. But uh, since, I, but after my heart operations, I think I was, uh, I went home to Sweden and then I went back and then did a couple of operations and I started to, to play, I guess, in uh, maybe early December in Hershey, Bears. And um, I, I think I played like seven games that season in Hershey. But then when I started to play my first game uh, in uh, December, I think it was December 18 against Pittsburgh. Uh, after that, I felt really comfortable. So I, I think I had some kind of record. I'm not sure about this, but I, somebody told me that because I think I started maybe 22 games after my first game. And I think yeah, that's pretty uh, rare for a rookie goaltender because maybe you play like two or three games and then the other guy starts the games. Right. But uh, I played a lot and uh, I know uh, Bill Deneen, the coach, he liked me. So he played me a lot. And also guys, because I think you did, you think you're right. I'm going to double check that, but I know you and Ontario Nitamaki were like two of the goalies who played the longest stretch of like flyers games, like in the last like 25, 30 years. I know that's okay. actually pretty fine. I'll double check that. But I wanted to ask you too, because you, you brought up something key about your, um, your, your heart. I know that when you got off to a start here, it was actually real difficult because you had Wolf Parkinson white syndrome and you had like, if I'm not mistaken, five different surgeries to try to correct the procedure. Did that, you, you mentioned that it was a little bit of a confidence thing, but did that, that affect your play at all? And are you still having issues with that to this day? No, it didn't affect my play at all. I think okay. so. And uh, right now, uh, after the, fifth operation i've been good since then so uh so i'm i'm uh, i'm i'm all good I talk about your experience in Philadelphia. You know, this is kind of a unique market with, you know, how aggressive the fan base was. Again, you know, during your tenure here, you know, the team was going through a little bit of a transition phase. You're right, Bill Deneen was still coach. I believe Eric Lindros had just come in around that time. He was a younger player. The team was not quite ready to make that push like they did in the late 90s. How much fun was that for you, kind of seeing kind of much, much talent there was there in the pipeline at the time? You know, Lindros, Brenda Moore, you know, um, you know, you still had Mark some, Reck, yeah. yeah, Mark Recchi was another one of those guys. Hey, talk to me about, uh, you know, how much fun was it to kind of go against them in practice and how much fun was it to kind of see that whole thing come together early on? I, I love, I love to play in Philly. Uh, it was uh, my best years in my career, I guess, uh, especially the first year. The second year I was so bad. I sucked really brutal, <laughs> but uh, the first year it was unbelievable. I, I remember after I played a lot of games, Mark Recky come to me in practice and say, Tommy, take a day off. Yeah. Uh, you, need to, you need to rest. And I was like, come on, I can't do that. I'm a rookie and I'm from Sweden. And 
it, for me, it uh, shouldn't uh, look good if I just take a day off because I played a lot. So, but everybody was so nice to me, and uh, it was a great, great uh, bunch of guys. And um, I, I really love to go to uh, Voorhees. I think that's the, yeah, where the practice was. Yep. Is it still there? Yeah, it they is. actually the Coliseum isn't there anymore. They returned it into um, they made a new ring called the uh, Flyer Skateso. But yeah, the practice facility's still over there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I loved yeah. it, and then the fans they were there and uh, watched uh, the practices, uh, and I was really surprised. And for me, after the practice, I was uh, chatting with the fans where the uh, where the cars were parked and. Sometimes I went to lunch with a couple of them because I have uh, I really like to speak to them and uh, I had a lot of time off. So it yeah. was uh, I loved the time in Philly. I loved that, it. That's awesome to hear how interacting you were with the fans. I mean, it's obviously a completely different story going on in today's NHL. It's tough because of. Obviously, there's. I don't know if you know. There's no fans in any of the arenas this year. The Flyers yeah. have been off since I believe last Sunday, so it's been over a week now before they're going to play. What do you think is yeah. going through the mindset of these players that are going through that long stretch without a game? Obviously, you throughout the NHL. I don't know if it was during the '90s, but they now have this week by that's kind of built into the schedule, and then they yeah. deal with it. But like. When you're thrown a wrench like this, what do you think's going through the players' minds right now? Because they can't even practice right now. They, can't, they they're just okay. waiting and hoping that they can get back to the ice in a practice mode. How do you think this is okay. going to affect them? Uh, I don't really think it's going to affect them a lot. Uh, that uh, there is not the game in a week or two. But uh, if if you say they don't practice, that's uh, that's a tougher thing. But the the most Toughest thing, I guess, is to play without uh, the crowd, the fans. Mm -hmm. It must be so boring. When I see a game here in Sweden on TV, it's like a scrimmage or something. It's uh, yeah. Uh, it must be so boring. But they pump, uh, they're pumping in fake crowd noise throughout the game, yeah. and it's it's. It, it goes back and forth on how I feel because once you see the empty seats, they have banners and stuff in the, in the crowd yeah. and stuff like that. But once you are able to see all the empty seats simultaneously with the crowd noise of a, of, 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 of a cheer or a boo, whatever it may be, a lot of boos. Yeah. They still have the boos in the Philadelphia <laughs> crowd noise. Yeah, I, rem but, I remember the boos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's certainly not going to change. That always, that, that'll that'll yeah. stay forever. That's never going to go away. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but uh, like you said, is there when they score a goal, is the what what's the name the music or whatever is yeah. that coming on? The goal horn goes off, the music goes on. It's still that, okay. but you know it. I, it seems to me we talked about this before. Uh, Bill and I have is that it's just it's without especially in the playoffs especially when you're in a crucial game that having that crowd noise behind you that energy that's really got to be very motivational for a player and you playing yeah. back in the old spectrum days and how loud that place was you know I'm, I'm sure for you getting that crowd noise behind you and getting the place all amped up when things were going well that had to be really motivating for you so uh, i you know I'm, I'm sure it's something for the players it's probably a little tougher for them nowadays what do you think yeah i totally agree with you and uh, the fans in Philly, they're, they're so unbelievable good. And like you said, if there is a breakaway or if it's a two-on-one, the, the, the crowd start to scream. 
And like I said, when I see that on TV now, it's nothing happens. So right. like you said, it's uh, the noise from the crowd. It's very, very important. I guess. Bridge- and in Sweden, they don't even have the, they might have the, the horn coming on with a goal, but other than that, they don't have any fan noise or anything. Oh. So when it's no- much worse over here. Yeah, actually, that's a good uh, point by you with the breakaway. Does, do you think that benefits the goalie when there's no crowd noise? I guess it also depending on if it's a home or away ice. But overall, if there's no crowd noise, does that help you as the goalie to break, to make to anticipate the save? Uh, that's a tough question. I have <laughs> I have I have no really good answer on that actually. But uh, but it's yeah, I can't I can't imagine actually how it's it is to play now without uh, the crowd or like you said uh, back in the night or when the when uh, the fans going to come back you know when there is uh, going to drop the puck you can see like now the fighters are coming in maybe there's not the same way now like when it was when uh, I was playing in the 90s but I could tell like okay now it's going to be a fight right off the bat mm-hmm. when they drop the puck and then you heard the, the fans also know that, so they started to scream. And uh, yeah, I love that. What was your favorite arena to play in in the NHL, and why? Uh, of course, it was the Spectrum. It was, <laughs> Good it was, answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's that's a no-brainer. So uh, I love to come out to, on the ice on the warm-ups, and I was uh, yeah waving to the crowd, and I, I usually. Uh, speak a lot to uh, Mr. Schneider's uh, daughter. Uh-huh. Uh, he had, his wife and his daughter was a lot, a uh, lot of times down by the bench, and I think his daughter was like maybe six or seven. So I chatted a little with her and uh, stuff like that. So, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, it was a really good time, and I remember after the games, uh, I went into the owner uh, owner lounge where the Tobins and the Schneiders were, and. Uh, stuff like that to speak to them so it was it was a really what can you say a familiar uh, feeling yeah. is that the right word? family yeah. atmosphere yeah yeah. Family yeah. yeah yeah yep it has nothing to do with the fans though but you know all the package was perfect for me right well let me ask you this you know going from that you know it, you're, you're traded into the islanders uh, midway through the i believe was the 1995-1996 season you you get traded to the Islanders, and that's kind 94, of a, I guess. I mean, sorry, a year before, yeah. You got traded the, the lockouts. The lockouts. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. It's correct. You got you got traded there. How did that all go down? And did, did you expect to be traded at that time, or what, what wound up happening with that whole situation of why you were traded to the Islanders? Uh, I didn't expect it at all because uh, they told me to find an apartment, of course, and then I had an apartment, and then like three weeks into the into the uh, training camp. Uh, we're going to play, I don't know who we're going to play, but we had a practice in the morning, and then we had a game at night. So after practice, I come home to my apartment, and then uh, I get a call from uh, Bobby Clark. Oh. And he said, uh, and I didn't, I didn't get it right away because I didn't know how it worked. So I said, hi, it's, uh, it's Bobby here. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, and then, uh, okay, Tommy, I'm just going to tell that uh, I have traded you to the Islanders and uh, Don Malone, the GM, is going to call you in 30 minutes. So uh, so thank you for, uh, yeah, whatever he said. So, And then I picked up my stuff at the game. Uh, 
So it was a weird feeling. But uh, then I don't know if, if it was the Snyder or if it was the Tobins who called me after the trade and said that, yeah, sorry, we had to do this, but we think this is the best for the team. And what I hear, heard is uh, that it's very uh, rare that the owner call the player who has been traded. So uh, I think that was a big, uh, great gesture from them to do that. So yeah, I sounds, like that. It sounds like you had like some sort of a, a closer relationship, especially if you're talking to Mr. Snyder's daughter and you, you know, you're hanging out with people there and, and afterwards, it sounds like you get to have that close relationship and you're right. In yeah. fact, an owner would call you to do that. That's, that's actually pretty special. Um, yeah. Going but, on. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah but, uh, but then when I come to the Islanders, uh, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, then I come to the Islanders and uh, Bob Froze asked me, the goalie coach, he said, what have you done in Philadelphia? And I said, what do you mean? Yeah, the only guy he wanted to trade was you, <laughs> Bobby Clark. <laughs> and, and we think you're the better goalie than uh, Dominic Purcell. And I said, I don't know, but uh, uh, I think it could be because uh, Purcell and Hextel was uh, goalie tandem before. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah. before I come. Yeah. That's why I thought that's why he traded. And I, my second year was so, so bad. So uh, I couldn't blame him why he, why he traded me. But uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it is a thing about a sophomore jinx that has gone around before. You know, you kind of see it with a lot of players that happen through the league. They come up with their good first years. And the second year, it kind of is just a kind of a reset period. But, you know, you kind of, after that second year, you're flipped to the Islanders. You know, talk to me about how that was, because they were also going through a major rebuild. They brought in Mike Milbury as coach. You know, they had a lot of players at uh, Zygmunt Palfi at the time. Um, you know, they had, uh, they were going through a little bit of a rebuild. And then they had the issue with, um, uh, with the, the ownership group. They had a lot of management changes there. And then they had the John Spano incident where he tried to buy the team. How was it really dysfunctional there at the Island at the time? And how could you, how did we able to, how was the team able to focus on hockey with all that external stuff going on? I don't think the team was affected at all, but about the owner stuff and, uh, that they changed coaches and so. And, uh, but, uh, I think, uh, Ziggy Palfi, he, he had a really great year. I think it was the first year, but other than that, we we had a tough time uh, as a team to come together. And uh, but uh, like the owners thing stuff, I don't think that affected at all. I like Mike Milbury. He, everybody thought he was crazy, and uh, maybe he was a little crazy, but I, I liked him. He was he was a cool guy. Like he was an American coach or Canadian. I don't know what he is, but but. Uh, he was, he was tough. Yeah, he always just seemed to be that classic 90s coach. Like, he he was built yeah. for that era. And that's yeah. why pe- kind of people are kind of a little sour on him. He used to – I don't know. I, the He used to do play-by-play coverage and, and uh, pregame coverage here in the, in the States on the NBC network, and now he's yeah. been ousted. But 90s, I yeah, think, was the I perfect read about fit that. for him. Yeah, I think the 90s were a perfect fit for him. That's where he yeah. did, his, did his best. Yeah, I remember one time when we were, when we were playing really bad, he, uh, he 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 come to practice and we get get on the ice and he said, "Okay, take off your uh, sweaters." And everybody was, "Okay, what's going on here?" And we put the sweaters on the bench, and then he had a dictionary and he said, "Had like A 
uh, attitude. And he said, like, you have no fucking attitude, attitude at all. <laughs> and, then he, and then he blew your, uh, the, the whistle, and then it was back and forth on the ice a couple of times. And then it come to B, and it was something on B. And I don't know how many uh, letters he did, but we <laughs> did that for maybe an hour. And, oh, and, my God. And he, didn't let, and he didn't let us drink either, so we took snow from the ice. And uh, I, I could imagine if one of the players would say, like, when it comes to say like A, uh, if we if we should have said okay, A is like asshole. That's you, Mike. How are you doing? <laughs> what do you think? What do you think he's gonna be doing then? But uh, he was not an asshole. So, but you know what I mean. It was a fun right. uh, fun moment. I never been through anything like that before. But and then after an hour, he just blew the whistle and, and he went off the ice. So it was no pucks that practice. So yeah. I don't know if it uh, uh, did any effect on us uh, the next game, but uh, I guess so. Well, let me ask you this. I want to kind of sidestep a little bit. Let's talk about your nickname, the Gambler. You know, you yeah. obviously you don't get a great nickname like that unless you take seventy thousand spins at the roulette wheel in a, in a German casino during the off season. I, it, talk yeah. about how did how did they how did they, you get that name? Obviously, that has something to do with it. But how did you get the nickname? And, and tell us, there's apparently you know a secret about roulette. You have a strategy. Is that correct? Yeah, I have a strategy. And uh, when I was playing in Sweden, I had these numbers uh, and statistics on the bus when we go on bus to uh, to the road games. And I was looking through it, and uh, I think, and I that I had a good system on that. And uh, but the thing is, I need you need to sit like five, six, seven hours a day, and uh, I'm not interested in that now. But uh, <laughs> if I if I should try it, I think it's gonna work. It's it's not that uh, hard to uh, to understand. So maybe that's why uh, the gamble is coming from. But I went to. Uh, Atlantic City a couple of times, but you know I was just there for a couple of hours, so then it can go anyway, uh, either way. So, uh, but I always like roulette. So, and that kind of led me to this rabbit hole of what you did your post hockey career outside. Once you you did pretty well in the Swedish league once you left the NHL. But you also, and I'm not going to attempt to do the Swedish uh, name for this. You can assist me with that. But you joined a reality game show that translates to, in English, the Champions of Champions. Uh, yes. What, what was that like? What what went into, were you recruited or were you just like, hey, this seems like a fun thing I can do? No, I was recruited. You get asked to do it. And uh, uh, I was asked a couple of seasons before. Mm-hmm. I think I was on season five or something. And uh, usually from the beginning, I think it was like 12 people every every year so you go to place and then you do a lot of different thing uh fun stuff uh, uh competition in like swimming or uh, climbing or yeah you name it and it's just like you need to be a champion to be on the show so mm-hmm. either if you win like uh, olympic me- uh, gold medal or or uh, world champion medal uh you you could get it invited so, so i was on the show maybe uh, yeah the fifth fifth season okay so and then that led to a little bit of co- uh, a, a controversy that you were part of you left the show because they invited a professional and i guess championship 
video game player, an e-gamer. And you said, this is bullshit. I'm no, no. <laughs> no, you got that wrong because that was like maybe one or two seasons after me. Okay. So then I, then I went out in the media and went out on my Facebook or Twitter or something. And I said like, okay, for me, that's not a sport. Right. And uh, so I said, yeah, that's like uh, you play with kids, something like that. <laughs> and they, they, they took it on the front page on the newspaper and stuff. And it was uh, really hullabaloo about that. But I, I said, like, if he would have been on the show, I was there. I think I should have said no, because that's not, it's not that I don't respect his kind of game but i think that's a different show with different yeah. uh different people no i completely so, agree uh, but, i'm a video game player myself yeah. i don't like i don't know if you can see me on our zoom but i'm not i'm if i'm invited to a world of champion a game show that's called champion of champions i'm gonna say absolutely yeah. not i'm just I'm, I'm moving my thumbs all day there's no point in me trying to compete against tommy Sand is uh sonderstrom in a in a, in a swimming competition <laughs> i'm yeah, not gonna or, win uh, or Michael Phelps or something like that. Right. It's not the same. <laughs> I think, but uh, I think they did it because uh, it's uh, video sports like that. It's really popular. So I think uh, because this was like on national TV. The, uh, uh, yeah. So I think they just wanted to have uh, a lot of viewers who watched him. But I think he, he went out first of all because one people uh, leave after yeah a couple of shows so he was the first guy who left so he didn't do any success there but. <laughs> can't can't blame him can't blame him at all no no tommy let me ask you this you you left north america in the nhl after 1997 returned to your former club in the swedish elite league um yeah in 2000 you win the league title you retire at age 30 and you stated that your your passion for the game had died i'd I'm curious about that. What what made you leave the NHL in North America after 1997? And what, what made you feel like you lost your passion for the game? Uh, it was a lot of things, actually. But why I didn't stay in America was because I had a, I had a good contract one way, and I shouldn't get a, a new good contract. If, I go, if I'm going to get a contract, I'm probably going to get a two-way. And uh, that's what, I wasn't interested in that. And uh, I was missing Sweden. So that's why I went back and I, I only wanted to go to my old team in uh, Stockholm. And so I, when I come home, I signed a five-year deal with them and uh, I uh, quit after my third year. I, I actually started to, to feel not really passionate to hockey during my second year so i figured maybe it's going to be better my third year there but uh it didn't so then it was an easy call for me so i went up to the gm or whatever you call it in sweden and i said now you have one uh, one on a lottery uh lotto because <laughs> you don't have to pay me for two years <laughs> yeah. and he was like yeah that's sad to hear but uh, yeah so instead of just uh you know being a backup for two years and have a heavy salary, I thought it was better that they spend the money on somebody else. And uh, I had a, yeah, so I just quit cold turkey. And uh, that was one of my best days in my life, actually, because uh, it's not that I didn't like hockey, but uh, I thought my day was over and my passion was uh, gone. So I always told to myself, 
before when I was, yeah, loved hockey that the day that I don't love the hockey anymore, just quit Tommy. So if I could, I should have quit during the season, but I couldn't do that. So, right. so that's why I quit often. Hey, and the thing is, though, that you went out on top. I mean, not many guys get to do that, but you, you got a chance to go out on top there and, and right off your uh, career, championship, right? Yeah, but I was the I was the goalie number one for the, the two Christmas, but after Christmas, I was number two. So it was not really, really on the top, but pretty close, though. So, uh, Michael yeah, Tuck it could was be your a little partner, better, right? but uh, it was okay. Okay. Michael Telquist was your partner, right? Yeah, and he went over to NHL and played over there. Yeah, I remember him. Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah, he played a couple, a couple years in the NHL also. I do remember him. You know, it's funny. You talked about with your contract and two-way stuff. We talked to Dominic Rousseau. Yeah, he was in weeks, t- yeah. Toronto. Yeah, he played in Toronto. I believe he played in uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Toronto. He played in Phoenix as well at the time. Yeah, he played in a couple different teams there. Yeah, I, and, you know, it's funny, you know, you mentioned about the contract situation. You know, we talked to Dominic Roussel, your old goalie partner, a few weeks back, and he talked about that that's why he jumped out of the league for a little while, too, is because of a contract situation. It just, when he got traded to Winnipeg, it just, it never, they never got reoffered, and it just became, he had to go through the championships to get back again. Um, yeah, I, I can understand if that's, that's you know, having those contract issues at the time totally could, you know, I wouldn't, believe me, after after someone coming in with your pedigree, getting a two-way contract, I hey, I saw your point with that. Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. But my last question for you would be, you know, I don't want to go back to 1991 where Steve Larmer hits you in your cage and 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 during the uh, during the during the Canada Cup. Um, but who was the the best shooter you've ever played against? Uh, someone who just every time the puck was on their stick, you just had a hard time picking it up because of how good they were. Who was that player for you? Uh, I think the hardest player, uh, like the, the hardest shooter, I thought was Al McInnes. You didn't want him uh, to shoot on you. <laughs> because you know it's going to hurt or something. Yep. But uh, the toughest, I think that should be uh, maybe Joe Sackett. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. He had a great shot. And you couldn't see where he's going to snap it. Or, uh, But the guys I hated most to have like on a breakaway was like Larry uh, Lemieux, Jarmy Jager, uh, Mats and Dean, these three guys. It was like, okay, come on, you're going to score pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine but, that being fun. Because it, it was unbelievable. And, you know, I hated to play against Pittsburgh. It didn't matter if I played for Philadelphia or Ireland. Because, you know, okay, now it's a box play. And, you know, they, they put in the guys like Lemur Jagger, was it Francis or Stevens or whatever. Yep. And on the back, you know, who did they have on the, on the blue line? But, you know, like... If it's a three on five, you know for sure they're going to score either one or two goals. So uh, that was the toughest team to meet for me for a goalie, I guess. Wow. That's incredible. Fantastic. Tommy, we thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on the show with us. Uh, this was awesome. We'd love to have you back at any time. Uh, do you have your, you said you had Twitter. Can people follow you? I know I'm sure you're, uh, tweeting in Swedish, but that's okay. We can figure. We have trans. We have Google Translate. Uh, do you do you have a Twitter handle you can promote? I don't really know what. Uh, let's see. Uh, if I look on it, yeah, I have a Twitter, but I don't know what the name it is. It, it's in my name. <laughs> it, well, if you just okay. call me or something, but 
Yeah, if you t- if you search Tommy Soderstrom, you're, yeah, it'll, you it'll sh- pop. You right should up. get it then. Uh, I did a, I did a pod with uh, Mike McKenna for maybe a month ago or something. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he yep. and he he did he put it out on Twitter, so uh, he found me. So if you looked, you're gonna see. That's who awesome. I am. I'm, I'm there on my picture. It's me and my dog. So oh, nice, nice, nice little golden retriever. Yeah, yeah it is. I love it. That's awesome. I love it. Tommy, again, thank you so much. We appreciate taking time out of your day to come on the show with us. Uh, We'd love to have you back on again. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you for having me, and uh, have a great day. And uh, can I say hi to every every, uh, Flyers fans? And uh, just say that I loved you. I loved you. I loved you. It was so nice to play in front of you and uh, to meet you after the game. So thank you very much. It was... uh, one of my best years in uh, life when I was playing in Philly. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks, Tommy. Have a great Thank day. You. Take care, Tommy. Yeah, you too. Take care. Tommy Soderstrom, ladies and gentlemen. That You're was awesome. You going to pronounce his name right? I, 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 it's so, it's Swedish, man. Tommy Soderstrom. 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 I got, it. <laughs> I got it. I got it. It was fun. He was a good he, guy. Good he guy. was a blast. He was a blast. You know, and I, I want to recommend anybody who, who listens to our podcast, the former Flyer goalie Mike McKenna has his own podcast called Six Degrees of Mike McKenna. He talks to all goalies. Kind of a pattern here, you know, like we've got going on here. But, um, <laughs> you know, but you know what? If he actually spent about an hour with Tommy Soderstrom about a month ago um, at the time of recording this podcast, I would recommend if you want to get more information about going back, about his gear, about more of his experiences, he really goes in the depth about it. Um, we only touched on a couple things of that. Uh, but overall, if you want a more of an in-depth, go listen to Mike McKenna's podcast. It's actually really, really fantastic. We're doing, but we really appreciate Tommy coming on and talking to us for a little bit. It's just, it's so cool how like, you know, like they're just guys, you know what I mean? But when you're younger and you don't realize that these guys are just regular dudes and they have their own interests. I love the fact that Tommy Soderstrom goes and he, he sat at the roulette table for five or six hours and just gambled the whole time. Like, how awesome is that? Like, how awesome is your life is awesome? Like, I mean, I get paid to play hockey and I take the money that I make. And I go figure out a game like roulette and I make more money off of it. Like absolutely beautiful. I love it. Absolutely fantastic. It, it was fun. I, I like I, I'm on every once in a while, I'll be on DraftKings or something like that for like 20 minutes, just going through the bets, go, just feeling what I want to do that day. And then I'll get tired at, because I'm like, oh, I need to get off this. Can't imagine doing a roulette table for 70,000 spins. No, that's amazing. No. It's fantastic. I'm telling you, it's a a complete dedication right there. But it shows you the focus of a goaltender's makeup. Like, how much focus, like, to concentrate on that, when you have something in your mind to just be able to focus it and dial in and have the time pass by, like, that's like the ultimate makeup for a goaltender. And I'll tell you what, I'd say this too. I give him a lot of credit for actually saying, no, I don't want a two-way deal. I'm not going to play here anymore. Okay. I mean, a lot of guys would take that two-way deal just to, to stay around. But Tommy's like, I know I'm better than that. I don't feel it's a fair shake. I'm out of here. I'll go back. But Good. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a shame that at the end you heard that he, you know, he talked about how he lost his passion for hockey. And even though he didn't really deal into it too much, you know, you think about, you know, he had the heart, he had the heart issue. Uh, he went and he wound up getting traded and was completely blindsided by that. And then he went up to New York where they had a really, really rough two years up there. 
and then get offering a two-way contract and having to go back to Sweden by that point. I mean, Hey, I get it right in the time. Like you've been doing this for so long and you know, I, sometimes for some people it happens, but Hey, everybody has their own story with that. It's just a pleasure to be able to talk to him and just realize that he's just a chill guy who just, who has very, very good memory details of everything. Like he was going through some of those memories there. So that's really cool, man. Really, really enjoyed that. It was fun. Uh, before we wrap, I wanted to discuss with you. Uh, we touched on it a little bit. We were pretty consistent with uh, talking about how the NHL schedule was a mess. The The thing that I always continue to come back to is just this season. I think everyone's going to say, yes, we have the expansion team coming. Yes, we need 82 games, but we also need 56 games. So we talked about how this team or the Flyers may have to cancel a couple games. I think it's all going to come back to they're going to extend the season. They're going to fit in 56 games for all this, all the teams and just work itself out when it comes in August and early September for the following season with the draft and everything. I think that's what it's going to do. Like, I think that's inevitably what the NHL is going to be doing. Well, very possible. But then you have to think about the Olympics at the beginning of 2022. Yeah. That, that's the thing is that the NHL is allowing the players to go back and they'll compress the schedule once again. So not only are you having an expansion team, you're going to have the Olympics on top of that. So that's, I don't think the NHL is really going to focus on next season right now. I think at, their, at this point, they know that they've got to get off the air at a certain amount of time that they can't compete against the Olympics. They just can't do it. I think with NBC, even though the contract's going to be up, um, I don't think that would be a nightmare for them. Just being able, because they're going to, the NBC won't have enough space to carry it. And the NHL won't, even if they do, won't get nearly the viewership as the Olympics do. So that's, that's, that's the reason why not to do it. And if they don't have any fans in the stands, that's going to be a problem. I think the NHL is banking on two things here. I think they're banking on one is getting fans and stands back at some point by the playoffs at sub capacity in every single location, whether it's Canada, whether it's the United States, you know, specific States have their specific laws. Like for instance, like Pennsylvania is not going to allow, but Florida is Florida is allowing people to go inside the stadiums. I think that they're banking on everybody getting back because that way, by the time the playoffs roll around, they had that playoff gear. They had that those playoff gates coming in where the their teams can make money. Well, the good thing is they're going to start bringing in revenue soon because apparently, gov- the New York is going to start allowing fans at all sporting events in the state of New York, from Buffalo to the Islanders and the Rangers, right, uh, and outside other leagues, NBA Knicks and all that's all, all those teams. So that's a start right there. I, I think it's a little bit interesting timing because they did it the same week that we're dealing with this outbreak. But the point remains the same. They're at least getting fans slowly but surely back in. And I think you're right. I think the ultimate goal here is playoffs, butts and seats. Like, I think Correct. that's I think that's what they want, especially because if you time it right, what the not to get political here but the the biden administration wants everyone that wants to be vaccinated by april may ish and then hopefully late uh, mid mid summer when this is wrapping up for the flyers to or excuse me the nhl to award the stanley cup there's a potential there is it guaranteed absolutely not but the plan is hopefully this times out right if you're looking, and then I'll just touch on this real quick. If you're if the plan is to have 300 people, 300 million people vaccinated by July, 
So it means you'll have what half of that by April. Like, mm-hmm. so you, th- you think about that way. So you're, you're, you're by July. So by April, you'll have 150 million. I think the NHL is going to bank on that. I really, but that's part one mm-hmm. and part two, I think they're banking on making sure that people are willing to come back to it. So yes. for instance, is that not just having people in there, but having enough people to come in there to really support those gates. And I think that that's what they were looking forward to at the beginning. And that's why they decided to go forward with the season than anything else. If they, if they are waiting right now to reschedule these games to some of those, they start leading up the, um, the, then the cancellations for them are a blessing in disguise, because if they're going to reschedule those games from now until like May near the yeah, end of the season, or push them in, then that means those gate, those games now get revenue out of it. You get gate revenue, which is yep. huge. So I saw too, that the Wells Fargo center specifically was awarded like I, I don't know what metric this was. I forget what the company was, but they were awarded like one of the best arenas that has a return to fans plan. Like they like their sanitation systems, their HVAC units, all this stuff. So it's like this is what I think a lot of stadiums are going to start doing, whether it's calling up the Wells Fargo Center and saying, hey, what are you guys doing? That's that's different from what we're doing so we can install it like as soon as they're able, it's not going to be a waiting process that we've seen in the past of, all right, now we have, now we can allow fans, but we need to work out a plan. No, the plan's already there. We just like, th- it just needs to be rolled out and executed. Like that's the good thing. 100%. And and I, I have, I've said this from the beginning, this whole thing. Can, can we just not do this now that we're returning? Can we keep this ongoing, please? Mm-hmm. Like for instance, like, you know, like for all due respect, you go into a bathroom at the Wells Fargo Center. It's disgusting. It's yeah. absolutely disgusting. Right. People don't flush toilets. They don't wash their hands, and they touch crap all over. You know, it's nonsense. Can we please have a focus on these things that we should be been paying attention to from the beginning? And again, I'm not trying to get on my high horse here and say and make a political statement, but public health is important. So especially if you're going to start after a pandemic to bring fans back. It should be something, oh, yeah, we're going to have a, a great return to fans plan where we're going to upgrade our, our, our HVAC facilities and make sure sanitation and bathrooms are clean. Okay, you should have been doing that from day one. It needs just to be up higher now, yep. considering that what's going on. But these are things that they shouldn't just be after a little, oh, we're back to normal. Let's let's stop this. These are things that happening to prevent this kind of thing from happening again, because regardless of what you believe or not personally, this is a, the world we live in and B, this is all the trickle down effect of something that should have been handled a long time ago and could have been possibly prevented if we did things a little bit cleaner. So just take that into consideration when you think that, okay, don't look at these plans as, Oh, they're great things. They're They should have been done in the first place. So, you know, if you can go to other countries like Japan and Germany and you can basically lick off the floor on a subway, you shouldn't go on the broad street line and smell piss. So that, that's exactly, <laughs> true. that's exactly what it should be. That that's exactly the point. Why, why should you, if we, you know, if we're so great, then I can walk in the broad street line and it should smell like roses compared to any, anywhere else I go. So I'm just making a point with that. I understand. Hey, it's a great thing. We, they, we've got to be more open, conscious, open awareness to this. And I think it's wonderful that they have plans. If it's top rated plan, it's great. I'll be more than willing to go back and watch a game, but this is something that we just really need to, as a people to keep looking at going forward. 
And that's what happens when you don't have hockey for a week. You get rants like that. Yeah, you you kind of think about other things outside of the hockey world, but it all relates back to what the Flyers and the rest of the NHL could be doing. I I I know you were saying that you think that the possibility of of the Rangers game on Thursday being canceled is is likely. I'm 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 optimistic. I think they're going to play. Yeah, I I think. The good, like we said at the beginning of this episode, the good thing is Travis Sanheim came off, but Travis, or yes, Travis Sanheim went off. Travis Konechny went on it, but the good, it's kept that number at seven, seven. It, like that's not fun. I get that. It's not easy to replace, but this is why you have the taxi squad. That's why you're able, like, is it going to be fun playing against the Rangers without Claude Giroux and Travis Konechny? No, obviously not. It's including Oscar Limba. By the way, it, it, anybody that could have possibly not gotten Oscar uh, or not gotten COVID, Oscar, Oscar Limbaugh was at the top of this list. Yeah. To see when his name went on, I think it was on Saturday or Friday Awful. night. Awful. I could not hold. I held my breath because it was like one of those moments where this kid just came off. Uh, Ewing sarcoma and, and, and it's just it's the last person you don't want to see any player from Claude Giroux who who his wife just announced that they're welcoming a second child later this year C- congratulations to them uh, like anybody you don't want to see any name on that list but Oscar was the top guy that you were like no way yeah. he, you got to protect Oscar at all costs if Oscar after this says, I-, I can't do it, I have to take the rest of the season off, I need to protect myself and including my family, God bless him. I would blame not blame him. him. No, more. not at all. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Look, we don't want to see anybody else get this, but this isn't going to be the last for this. This is going to happen on other teams too. And I would bet you next is probably up is Boston because the Flyers played Boston right before this happened. I bet you 10 to 1, Boston's going to have some issues here in the next couple of weeks. I just get – I just – and you could see the trickle down effect from the Flyers where a week later, and then then yeah, it was uh, the, after the Devils, and then all Flyers got it. It'll be this is going to start trickling between other teams as well. The Bruins are going to happen in there. It's going to happen to the Islanders. It's going to happen to a couple other teams. And Canada's just going to keep going along strong. That's exactly what's going to want to happen. And Toronto's going to run away at first place because, of course, Toronto would have first place. They haven't obviously gone out to dinner in Ontario yet. I mean, again, we don't want anybody to get it, but <laughs> Toronto. Um, anyway. I digress. Uh, no, th- this is this is not going to be the last of this by any means whatsoever. And it's going to come around again, and other teams are going to get it. And, and I'll tell you what, it's very possible that the same teams, considering there's only seven players in this team that are in the protocol, it's very possible that this is round one for the Flyers, and it could happen again, and we don't want it to happen. That it, This isn't the bubble, so they're not going to have things where it was as clean as the bubble, and I, maybe the NHL thought that it could be that clean. Um, but it's it's not, and it's not going to be, and this is going to get messy, and the NHL's really got to figure out a way to make sure they get it back, and hopefully, hopefully, it works out in their favor where they're postponing games now, but adding them in near the end of the season and yep. getting gate revenue out of it because that would be very beneficial for the league, uh, for the fans, and for events going into next season as well. 
So, yeah, I agree. Uh, that's going to do it here for episode 65. Again, thank you so much to Tommy Soderstrom for taking time out of his day to join the podcast. Uh, check him out on Twitter. His Twitter link is in the podcast, or excuse me, in the description below. Give him a follow. Give us a follow. Orange and Backcheck on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Send us an email at orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com if you have any questions or concerns about the podcast. Give us a five-star review while you're at it on Apple Podcasts, on Libsyn, on all of the good stuff, on all of anywhere you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star review. We appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you guys next week, hopefully with Flyers. Wash your damn hands. They've got one more goal favored than Toronto and one less goal allowed. And they're nine, they're 11, three and one. Like, screw you. Like, I, the Canadians can't store a score at the right time. Like, they have 52 goals. The Maple Leafs have scored 53. The Canadians have given up 39 goals. The Leafs have given up 38. And the Leafs have two more wins in them and one less overtime loss. Like, problem. I have a problem.